Good. Good morning, all. Hey, my name is Tom. I'm one of the elders here, and uh, obviously I am not Matt Brown. I don't claim to be as funny or as energetic as Matt Brown, and tune in next week. He'll be back. So, um, But for now, we're going to continue on in James, um, and we are going to do this awfully jacked up this morning, so uh, get ready to hop around a little bit. Um, we're going to start back in a couple verses in chapter 3, and we're going to roll through verses 1 through 3 in uh, chapter 4, skip over 4, go to 5, go back to 4, camp out there, and then we're going to roll through. Don't freak out if uh, you're looking at your watch and going, he's only in verse 4, and we've got like five minutes left. So don't worry, we're going to get you home, it's all right. So um, so as we come in here, um, coming off the heels of Matt's message last week, um, we've got, um, starting in verse 17 in chapter 3, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So the church as it should be, and then we've got the obvious transition here to James going like, what in the world is going on? So in verse 4-1, what causes quarrels among you and causes fights among you? So immediately we have the transition from the way it should be to, now what in the world are you guys doing? We've got quarrels and fights going on. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you, do, you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So back in this day, we didn't have fake book out there to put on our cheesy face and say, hey, everything's right. And, and that. So they would go to it and just get down to the point of things. And so there's quarrels and fights. And so he's going, okay, why is that we're, we're obviously showing that the church is not supposed to be this way, but here we are. So why is this? And he continues to flesh this out, and he, he kind of talked about this a little bit in chapter 1, but continues to go here. So the, there's these latent desires that are in us and within the, the church here. And again, as James is addressing this, that he's calling these people brothers, he's calling the church so he's talking to the church, but again, as Matt had said last week, there's a couple of things. You can be living within the carnal Christian lifestyle. You're, you're a Christian, but you're living for the world. But then you can also, within this fold, you know, we could very well be talking to unbelievers. Uh, and, and in fact, as you look out at the church you know, today, that's, there's a very good chance of that, that there's a lot of unbelievers in the midst. So, um, so we have this fruit that is... A, in opposition to what we should be seeing in Scripture and what we should be seeing out in the church. So um, the picture is we have these desires at war, and people either want something so bad they're willing to kill for it, or they want to keep that thing so bad that they're willing to die to defend it. And so we look at it and go, okay, what, what could possibly have that much worth you know, that, that's willing to do that, not only anyway, but also within the context of the church. So, again, I, I kind of left that passage going like, okay, so why don't we make all our decisions based on emotion? You know, if this is the result, and this, if we're led by that, and we let those passions lead and guide us to our decisions, and that's, we don't have any wisdom, we're not pulling anything from James 3, 
That's the result. And that, that's why we don't advocate just like, I felt it, so I went for it. And it's just like that. That's where it goes. You know, it, it's a, a downward spiral into, uh, into uh, fleshly living, and we don't want to go there. So they say, okay, great. So let's stop fighting and quarreling. You don't have, so you don't ask. Okay, we don't ask because we think we're self-sufficient. We think we can take care of it ourselves. Or we don't even want to check with God to say, hey, is this thing that I'm after and this thing I desire for even something I should have? And God may say, nope. You know, he may just turn it down. So we don't even want to ask him and check in. And he said, okay, well, fine. I'm go- I'll ask God and say, all right, you're my cosmic genie. Come, I'm going to pull the handle and out, out's going to come what I want. Well, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Okay, so did I forget my please and thank yous? Did I ask, did I say the magic words? Did I say amen and speak in thee and thous and, and finally get to what I'm after? No, you ask wrongly is not in how you ask, but what you're asking it for and what, what direction you're going to take that. You're asking to spend it, um, basically the, the thrust of the, the language here is to squander it the way that the prodigal son did, that you, know, you cashed out on the father so I could squander everything that you spent a lifetime earning on myself and on my desires and what I want. And so God says, well, don't expect an answer for that. You know, if, that if that's your goal and that's what you're trying to go do, then don't expect an answer for that. And so, again, here we're going to skip over verse 4 and jump right into 5, because I want to hit this one now so we can skip over it later, because it's one of those goofy translation things, and so it's better to hit now than hit pause in the middle once we get rolling here. So, uh, when we approach this one, the verse starts out, or do you suppose that it is for no purpose that Scripture says? And so, that part of the verse um, indicates that hey, there's, I should be able to point to Proverbs 6, 9 or something, and poof, there it is. Well, this, this one has no direct reference, so this is pulling from either a summation of Scripture or something that James is referencing that's not you know, directly in this Bible here, but he says, suppose that Scripture says, he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us. And so as I'm studying this, this is one that I just read over and you don't think anything of it until you have to actually teach on it and be like, what in the world are they talking about? And So diving into the original language, uh, we've got on there um, two different translations. As, as I'm looking, trying to figure out, like, okay, what's the Spirit and God jealously desiring that? And, okay, what in the world is this you know, going on here? So what you're seeing here is we've got, um, as I'm looking through the translations, obviously we're not reading the original language here in English. We're reading a translation, so the original audience here would have been able just to roll right with us and not have to make guesswork on, like, hmm, what's James talking about? Whereas now, we can't go back and interview James and say, hey, dude, you know, were you trying to say this or this? So we have scholars and very smart people on both sides of the fence that are you know, looking at the evidence, looking at the words, looking at the context, saying, hey, I think it goes this direction, or hey, I think it goes this direction. Um, so this is one of those um, rare instances here where, as I'm reading through it, the King James Version actually seems to kind of hit it more on the head here of what uh, James is trying to get at. And that says, the spirit that is within us lusts to envy. So it, it, it desires ill will. Is, and so basically he's using this as a summation of, 
everything in verse 1 through 4 and saying, okay, don't you get it that the spirit within us lusts for ill will? Um, so, it, it, again, if, if you want to get into it, the Greek and stuff gets crazy, but um, he is not in the Greek. The word for spirit is a general term, so it's not necessarily pointing to the Holy Spirit. So the, these are the things that cause question. Um, and, again, don't worry about this stuff um, because, again, it, as you break it down and kind of understand the implications of each way, both of them are biblically truthful statements. Um, the ESV essentially means, if we take it like that, that God is a jealous God and longs for us to be holy and have proper desires for the sake of his spirit. So we're not off point. We're just, it's, that translation's a little bit choppy with how the rest of it flows, whereas the King James Version is saying the flesh is bent towards evil, and without God's grace, that's where it's going to go. And by the way, we're all living proof of that. Um, you just let it go, and again, verse 1 through 3, again, kind of points to that. Um, so as we're looking at this passage, so we've got verse 1 through 5 is describing the problem of what, what's going on, and then verse 6 through 10 is, okay, what are we going to do about it, and what, what has God provided for us to do about it? So let's jump into verse 4, where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. That says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So let's get a couple of the terms right, because um, again, the downside of American English is you can say friend, and it means like eight different things. Like, oh, hey, you're, you're my friend from church. Like, oh, you're the guy I slap high five and then never see you again until next Sunday morning. Or you're my friend, like I took a bullet for you last week. You know, we've got too much in there, you know, to be able to break it down. So, again, that, that's going back to the original language, gives you so much clue as to the thrust and what James is going at here. Uh, and where he's saying friendship, it means fondness, which, again, is what we would expect it to be, but it means an intimate friendship that's emotionally based, a constant, habitual, and perpetual kind of thing, that it's, it's an ongoing emotional attachment and an intimate attachment um, to something. Um, again, enmity is not one that I'm really standing up here that, you know, I have enmity with the enemies of God, and, you know, we're not using that language. So, again, it, it's hostility, reason for opposition, hatred, you know, is essentially the same thing there. And then the world, again, there's 1,800 definitions of what the world could be. Are we talking about the sun, moon, and the stars? Are we talking about, you know, nature and, and that kind of stuff? Um, so as we break down the world, um, again, the Bible, the best thing you can do when you run into problems uh, translating the Bible or confusing parts in the Bible the Bible is the best interpreter of the Bible. And so you go back to see what other references were made to this, what other points that the Bible makes, um, because, again, it gives you more illustration of what's going on. In 1 John 2, 15 through 16, uh, hits the nail on the head here. So, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. So that hits it. So we're not talking about 
you know, the world being Bambi and mountains and, you know, that kind of stuff. It's, you know, don't worry about it. It's the corrupt moral system that we're all subjugated to here, and it's the, the sinful fleshly desires in that that are summed up. So desires of the eye, the pride, the possession, I'm sorry, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and pride and possession. So what you see, what you covet, and what you have, and, you know, positionally in that. So basically, he's laying it out here pretty strong that, you know, strong friendship of the world is out of place in the church, and it's actually listed in the marks of unbelief and categorized in with unbelievers and that. Um, so we look at this, the obvious passage to turn to, and I'm sorry I didn't uh, put this on there, so just kind of listen to this and let it wash over you. And that's, if you think, if my immediate thought, when I think, okay, if I'm friends of the world, what in the world does that look like? Um, and my first thing goes to, like, the apostate church that is just embracing everything immoral and disgusting and filthy with the world and justifying it, however, you know, some way, shape, or form, and saying, hey, we're going to have homosexual marriages here in our church, and, you know, we believe this is right, and this is, you know, that's what I'm thinking, like, okay, they're, you know, pandering to the world, they're buying points with the world system, and that makes sense. Um, what we see is, again, Romans 1, uh, let's see, let's do verse 29. Again, it's talking about the depravity of the world, and, and of man, it takes the whole chapter to kind of lay that out, but uh, sums it up in that they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They, though they know God's decree and those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval of those who practice them. So that, that's the first layer that we look at, and that's kind of the obvious one of, like, uh-huh, yeah, that's all in God's Word. That's not a good idea to go against all that. And, and sometimes we hit pause and just assume, like, okay, that's good. I'm, I'm not part of that. I'm, and we do the Hitler thing and just say, whew, I haven't killed a whole nation of people and tried to genocide anybody. All right, I'm in. I'm, I'm doing all right with myself. And that so, but the problem is we got we got to keep digging deeper, and so as we look at this and we start really taking a hard look at what does the friendship with the world look like, um, and again we see it laid out in a little bit in James and there's I'm, I'm not going to jump you through your Bible all um, through here I had to pull out a ton of different references here but uh, you know we look at just in the first verse what causes quarrels and fights among you, so. If we're going to do a self-assessment time and take a look at our hearts and our standing and what we're doing and just asking that question, am I being a friend with the world? Am I being tied into this? And so the, the question I would beg you to ask is, how many quarrels do you have? How many ongoing quarrels, ongoing disagreements, disputes, and that, do you jump to that? Is that your first thing? Like, I'm going to start flying fists in church, and you know, I'm going to find a point of contention and wheel on it. That's a question to ask. How quick do you jump to dispute? How are you overthinking? You know, things like, well, you know, maybe they have a reasonable perspective on this. Maybe they misspoke. Maybe they did this. 
Or are you just jumping right to the throat and being like, I'm just going to take this line and I'm going to strangle you with it. And you know, that's something that we have to honestly look at. Because again, you, you look at the previous passage and James laying it out, pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy. That's the fruit that we should be bearing. If we're bearing the opposite fruit, we need to take a hard look at that. Um, another one is, how tied into the culture are you? You know, how, how much, if American culture dropped off the face of the planet, how much does your life go upside down? You know, we look at past scripture references are going to be Lot, Lot's wife with Sodom. You have an atrocious moral city that God is judging, but you're looking back. You want to go back home to that thing because it's familiar, it's what you know, and it, you, you would cherish and appreciate that. Um, we see it in Israel's history with their desire for a king, it's like you have the sovereign, almighty ruler and creator of the universe leading your nation. No, I want some other guy to match the other kings that are by us so we can feel like we fit in. It, is that something that's permeating your life? Um, another word that, that comes up, and again, I'm, I'm probably going to get some uh, hate for this, but uh, how tolerant are you? How much will you put up with before you speak up the truth? That's another one. That, that gets thrown out there like left and right today. Oh, we got to be tolerant. We got to be, you know, tolerant of each other. And the problem is the, the definition of that is altered and twisted. That in our culture, basically in the church, tolerance would be, again, according to James 3, full of mercy, full of reason, willing to talk it out with people. That's being tolerant, not jumping to the conclusion. Our culture over here has said tolerance means acceptance and approval, and that is flat-out wrong. So they're wanting that to say, hey, your beliefs, your issues, your thing are equal and just as important and just as true as everything else. And that's where we have to draw the line and be like, hey, I'm sorry. No, it's not. And, you know, the gospel is true. God's law is true. I have to tell you that because you're headed to the wrong place. And I've got the warning flag, and I can sit here and wave it. And, again, you... And it's not being a jerk. It's not about being, you know, an idiot and, you know, being boastful or anything. It's, again, looking at that going, okay, am I refusing to stand for the truth because it might cost me something? It might make me look silly. It might, uh, you know, put me out of place in this culture. How desensitized to God's values are you? What has been normalized in your life? Um, I haven't watched, like, regular network TV in a long time, and I'm flipping channels and go and see, you know, we'll, we'll watch nature shows or something like that, usually at the best when we're watching anything on TV, but you look at it and just go, like, I cannot believe what's getting aired, and what's, this is normal? Like, this is normal? And that, and you just kind of scratch your head, and you just go, okay, how, how often are we doing that? And how often are we looking at what we're allowing to entertain ourselves, what we're allowing to soak in as just writing it off that, no, hey, that's just what it is, and oh, and laugh it off. It's like, okay, you know, again, it, entertainment and those kind of things can be gray area issues, and again, I'm not going to beat you with a stick if you like something that I don't, but it's just something, again, to look at that, you know, how desensitized are we that we're not appalled at things anymore? Another different one, and again, that kind of struck me, um, here's I'm thinking about it is where's your anxiety level at 
that's another one that shows how well you're tied into the world and how much you depend on the world system for things. How anxious are you? Because, again, you have the sovereign God of the universe that in Matthew 6, 33 says, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, clothing, family, food, friends, everything. He's going through this list of, don't you know that God provides for the sparrows and the food and da-da-da-da and all this. So God has promised that. So how anxious are we? And again, I, uh, the, the difficult thing of this, and I, I think everybody that has to preach a message is, you know, I'm definitely preaching at somebody in this room, and it's right here. And that, that was the hard part of wrestling through this this week because I just go, uh, yeah, I am way too wrapped up and stressed out about, you know, am I making my retirement thing? Am I providing this for my family? Am I doing this? Am I doing... Th-? And it's just like, waste of time. Waste of time. How much do you long to be in your real home? And John 14, 1 through 4, Christ says, I go and prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. Again, I don't know why. King James is just so much... That's what comes out when I memorize stuff, but um, are we longing to be where Christ is? Um, if I had the time and the stuff, I was going to set up a tent over here and then just start pimping it out, putting like you know all kinds of luxury stuff on it and a TV and a satellite dish and, and all that because it, it just looks ridiculous. You just go, you idiot. Like You're going to lug all that stuff around when you're going home. Like You got all that stuff at home. You know, why would you, you know, you go camping for the purpose of getting out and chilling out and roughing it and, and that. Guess what? We're camping, guys. You know, this is an overnight experience. The eternity's coming. We got a home. Like, Christ is making it for us. Again, if I'm going to trust somebody to build it, myself or Jesus Christ? Thank you, Lord. I'm going to, you know, go hang out in your home. So how tied into the stuff here and how focused are we? Um, how per- persecuted are you? That's another one that God said, persecution shall come. They hate you because they hate me. And Jesus ain't here right now, but we are. And that's where the world's going to go hit. They're trying to get to him through us. And so it's coming. And, and again, I, I'm, I'm not implying that if you never face persecution or you never get in there, then obviously you're not a believer. You know, I'm not implying that. But again, it's something that if we're not speaking for the truth and we're not standing out there, of course it's not going to cost us anything, you know, because nobody's going to be offended or, you know, recoil at the truth if we never say anything. And that, so again, it, it's not about being an idiot and saying, okay, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to wave scripture in somebody's face and be a belligerent idiot. And like, well, of course you're going to get persecuted because you're an idiot, you know. It's common, you know, but are you being reasonable, sensible, and approaching, you know, these issues and saying out of love, hey, this lifestyle you're in is heading you to hell, folks. You know, I have the truth. And again, not that I'm arrogant, but God gave it to me, and he calls us to go give it to you. And we want to do that. How's your church life? And, you know, are you giving, serving, involved? You know, again, this is God's community. It is his plan A, and there ain't no plan B, that this is how the world's going to get reached. And, hey, you know, we're full of moles, pimples and ugly stuff in here, but guess what? So are you. And we're all in this together, and we're all growing together, but this is God's vehicle to get the word out and his only plan. 
And again, Romans 10, they're, they're only going to hear by hearing the word by those who are sent and believing it. So guess what? It's on us. And so I want to spend time, you know, developing relationships here in this body and, and growing here. So, okay. So we covered that base. And if we look at that, say, okay, here we are, obviously in pagan culture and all that stuff. I'm, I'm not setting up, you know, some idol to Molech or sacrificing my child or, you know, all the crazy stuff you see in the Old Testament. Therefore, I must be okay. And we look at our American culture and go, hey, 50% of America claims to be a Christian and claims to be this. So, fantastic. We got half of the nation um, that believes we've got claims to believe. Um, we are the most prosperous nation, um, arguably, in history um, that's ever been on the face of the planet. Obviously, God must appreciate that. We value freedom. We value individuality. We value all these core things that are, you know, very tenant to what God would value. Um, again, we, we have to have it figured out, right? Just walk in a church, and, you know, we've got to know what's going on and that. So, I've got a checklist um, here, so if we want to avoid some of the other stuff that, uh, you know, if we want to be a safe American Christian, we've got a good checklist here of uh, things that we can go through. So, attend church regularly, but attend one that meets your needs, suits your preferences, preferably a larger one since numbers and financial provisions are a sign of God's blessing. The teaching and programs are probably better, plus you can slip in and out of your own terms. Stay in your Christian bubble. Hang with your Christian friends, attend Christian events, listen to Christian music, be a part of every program at church. Don't take your faith into the culture, because they're fine if you stay here. Don't, don't go over there. Now, there's plenty of room for all of us here um, in America. Don't talk about religion and politics. We know those are the number two, one and two things that we just don't want to engage in in conversation. And, and avoid engaging in conversation about your faith. After all, everyone has an opinion, and all truths are about equal as long as you believe it sincerely enough. So, you know, there's multiple ways to God that you know, everything, you know, basically has man pursuing God to an end, and God is an eternal thing. We only differ on heaven, hell, salvation, Christ, um, sin, nature of man, you know, those things. Don't, don't worry about that stuff. When forced to engage, emphasize the universal love of God Leave room for other ways to get to him because someone, that other person can probably out-argue you anyway. Continue to pursue upward mobility in society as a means for providing for your family. More is better. I can always give it away, which I never do. Regarding missions, evangelism, and discipleship, regard these as special gifts for those people who are gifted with them. I'm going to leave it to the professionals that God has obviously called um, and that, so I can always write you a check, which I never do, and do just enough to not get fired, and not enough to get noticed, because if you do, you might be stuck serving there, and we don't want to do that. That's inconvenient. Sign a card, say a prayer, go up front, and accept Christ as Savior, but not Lord just yet. Get your fire insurance card, take that home, and think about it for a while. 
Be a good neighbor, hide your issues, greet people well, avoid any outward signs of sin, because we don't want to be caught guilty in this quarrel thing, because that's an obvious thing there. We don't want to, we've got this private little area right here that we can just store it all in, so don't project any kind of sin. So project a perpetual state of happiness, bliss, despite the anxiety, stress, confusion, jealousy, depression, inadequacy, and turmoil, they're all eating you away inside. Bury them because there is power in positive thinking. If you believe it, you can achieve it. And if you want to succeed, project success. Does that sound about right? Ouch. Ouch. So that is even worse than the stuff we were talking about before because there's a problem in there. That The problem is self-deception. Pride girds it up. I'm proud if I think that I can walk around here and assume that you guys think I have it all together? The heck, that ain't right. I don't. <laughs> you know how much I wrestled with this as walking through this? I had my notes um, all set up for a very orderly, just going through the notes and verse by verse, all this, and then God smacked me in the face with all this and, and forced me to face this stuff that's in my own heart. And it's like, this is what you got to get out there. And again, it, it's preaching myself, and that, that's pride. That's pride to go in there. It's not being humble to say, I don't have problems. That's pride. You think yourself better than others. You, you want to project that as better than... We're in a room with a bunch of broken people. We're in a room that we're here because we know we can't make it. If you think you can make it, you're out in that street doing something better than hanging out on Sunday morning. Sorry. Now, we know we can't make it. We're in the room of the people that care. We're in the room of people that love us, that understand what it's to be that. So why drag this stuff around and put on this plastic face? I don't read Facebook, and I'm not on it mostly because of that. You know, I hear of political fights. I hear of you know, all the fake stuff. And again, I'm, if you're on it, again, it, it's, that's a gray issue thing. That's you know, just me speaking. But there's so much fake. There's so much, and if you try to be real, it's just like people just start attacking you for it, and you know, it's just like you know what? Eh, you know, don't want that. I'd, I'd rather be in a community and in a bunch of a group with real people. Um, so th this kind of all this kind of brings to uh, brought to mind the scariest verse in the Bible to me, and um, and again, I, I'm not one that likes to use fear tactics. I'm not one that, you know, thinks that we're going to manipulate anybody into something. But um, here as a church, our job is to present the cold, hard truth of God's Word. Because if we don't, and we don't put that mirror up, there's a chance you could walk away deceived. And we need to do that. And again, I, if it loses people, we're okay with that. Because again, numbers are, are not what we're after. And that it's getting the real truth of God out and trusting him to work at it. But the scariest verse in the Bible, to me, does not come out of the book of Revelation. That stuff's pretty freaky, but, you know, the scariest one for me is Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does my will of the Father who is in heaven. Freaks me out, folks. Because you can be self-deceived. You can be in the church. You can be serving the church. And you can come strutting in with your gang of friends, you know, walking into heaven and go, oh, 
Hang on. I know him. I know him. I don't know you. That scares me. And that scares me in our culture because it's so entrenched in our culture. And, you know, if you go to a funeral, everybody's a believer at a funeral. You know, it, again, I'm not saying <laughs> say some rude stuff at a funeral, but, you know, be sensitive. But there's that perception that there's a universal thing. Everybody's going to find a way in. It's going to be okay. You know, God's going to grade on the curve. There's going to be a lot of room for Hitler in hell, and, you know, everybody else is going to make it, and that, and it's just not the case. And so, again, as uncomfortable as it is to even preach a message like this, it's necessary, uh, because if we don't, we could be 20 years down the road and either wake up to it then and look back and say, I had 20 years. If I would have faced this hard truth and would have went through it, what could I have done with my life for 20 years? And there's some that will pass away, and this is reality. And, you know, again, it, it's nobody wants to preach the sobering message, but as I'm walking through it, I needed to hear it. I needed to walk through it. Um, and it's, like I said, it, it's scary as can be and, and hard to do that self-evaluation and that. But if we don't pick through some of these subtle things, and start looking at how the culture has gripped our hearts and how we've been pulled in, we can either be on the wrong road or we can waste a lot of time. And I ain't got a lot of time to waste. And I'm in my mid-30s, and I still see it. And I still see how quick it goes. And there's people that are beyond me that can look back and say, guess what, brother, it goes faster. And it goes quicker. And you get to the end, you get busy. Yeah, and that, that's another one is, you know, busy is our God. But as long as I'm busy, you know, I'm, I'm productive, I'm doing something. And again, I'm not against hard work, but if we're doing that to avoid doing this, is going face-to-face, toe-to-toe with God's truth, then we've got a problem. And that, so, again, we're not going to use coercion. Um, the Crusades taught us that valuable lesson that, you're not going to twist somebody's arm into heaven. You know, bad idea to even try. You know, but what we need to do is we need to face these truths, be willing to face these truths. If you're suspicious of it, read this stuff. It scares the snot out of you, folks. But guess what? You have a chance to do something about it because we roll into verse 6. And again, these transitions, they're, these little conjunctions are so huge. Uh, we go through all this problem, and Paul lays it out in verse 6. But he gives more grace. But there's a solution. But there's something we can do about it. Because, again, my heart is hard. And I look at some of this stuff, and, again, there's a pantheon of Scripture that says be a good steward, you know, live in this world well, you know, steward your resources. We're not all going to be called to go to the extreme, but we have to be willing to do it. And we look at Luke 18, 13, and uh, uh, sorry, got the wrong one there. Um, 1822, uh, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Hey, I've kept the commandments. I'm doing great. I'm ready to get my ticket. When do I get into heaven? And Christ lays it out. The one thing you lack still, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Imagine having 99.99% of your life right, and I'm assuming that he did everything right, which he probably didn't, but you know, we're assuming that he did everything right, and we're wrong on one spot, and Christ says, that's it. 
and he goes on, hey, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, you know, these kind of things. So that's why this is so important that we face these kind of issues. We look at them, and we delve into them, and we be honest, because that guy had a chance to walk away and say, you know what, this thing has a grip on my heart. Christ is truth. Christ is right. I need to let this stuff go. Now, you know, Scripture says he was downtrodden and disappointed. We don't have the end of it, you know, of what actually happened to him. He probably didn't, again, based on his response, but, you know, total speculation and that. But we have a chance to face these hard truths and confront them and deal with them in that. So the question is, if I'm a believer and I'm in this state, I know I've been redeemed by Christ, and I'm, I'm in this condition, what do I do about it? If I'm an unbeliever, first time in church, first time I've heard you know, the truth and being confronted with it, what do I do with it? Guess what? Your steps are the same. So we're going to roll through that here. And the comfort that we have, again, is that, but he gives more grace, that no matter what mountain we're bringing into this thing, God's grace is greater than that. Because, again, we can't sin anymore to deserve judgment. We're already there. You know? and, and so whatever we bring, he is, has more grace to do that. And that. So if we come, and again, as we look into this next passage here, but he gives more grace, therefore God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Uh, there's a couple words here, again, that we get thrown out uh, quite a bit. Uh, and that so proud... And you know, we kind of, again, kind of know what that means. But it, the root word is appearing above others. So we don't recognize our own need. We cherish independence. We appear that we are above others. And again, that's, use that Hitler comparison that I'm above Hitler. I'm better than him. Guess what? You, know, you probably are, but that's still, you know, an issue of pride here that's going on. Whereas humble is being cast down in a low estate. Um, that Luke eighteen thirteen um, is the picture of the temple and the tax collector in the center there, and both of them are approaching God and the tax collectors like, "Hey, I got my life together, God. Thank you that I'm not like that man. I'm, you know, I'm rolling and everything's going good." Whereas the tax collector says, standing far off, would not lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, "God, be merciful to me, a sinner." So he's on his face, grieving what's going on. Guess which one's proud? Guess which one's humble? And if we watch the thrust of Christ's ministry, he illustrates that perfectly as you look at that. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What did Christ spend his time doing? Was serving the dejected, the overlooked, the ignored, the pushed down of society. He spent healing and serving those folks that were thrown to the fringes. And every time you see him having a spat, it's with the Pharisees, and it's with those that peer themselves above others that have what is needed to, you know, get it out to the people, and they're holding it back, and they're putting fences around it and that. So as you look at Christ's ministry, again, this is like a perfect summary verse of, you know, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So as we go through verse 7 through 10 here, uh, there's ten commands that are kind of imperatives of how we receive grace. And again, whether you're a, sin, a Christian, that things are out of place, and that, or you're an unbeliever, this this pattern is the exact same. So these steps, and again, it's it's not a ten-step program to redeem everything well in your life, but that it's James showing you know what we go through 
in that as we approach the, the throne of Christ. So number one is submit. Um, and again, this is kind of a military term that basically it, it, it's like with the drill sergeant says, line up, and, bu- 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 and everybody lines up. So you're lining up underneath your authority. Uh, it's the same word used in uh, husbands and wives in Ephesians 5, that you know, wives line up under your husband. He's, you know, it's that same kind of thing. So what are we submitting to? We're submitting to God. So become of humble estate so that you are trusting God with your life. And so what, what does this look like in light of verse 1? So what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not your passions that war within you? We have passions and desires, and then we think we know what it takes to go fulfill those, and we think we know the direction is. So we're looking for satisfaction of our desires. That, that's the end goal of what we're trying to accomplish with all our struggling, whatever that is. Don't care, you know, if it's sexual food, if it's power, pride, money, whatever it is. You know, we're, we're thinking that's going to accomplish satisfaction for us. Whereas God is saying, you come underneath me, and you trust me with the satisfaction, and I'm going to tell you what to do. And you go and pursue this, and that will give you satisfaction. So instead of pursuing this lustful relationship or this you know, financial gain or whatever, thinking that's going to provide satisfaction, study my word and have communion with me. You will be satisfied. You will have joy, peace, contentment. You will have the end of James 3. That's what I'm telling you, and that's what you're trusting God with because all we see is this direction. That's all that we can comprehend that, okay, I have a desire for this, therefore the only fulfillment is that. Guess what? I got the wrong desire. God's saying, desire me, do what I say, and I will give you this peace and that because, again, you talk to the wealthiest people on the planet, you talk to the most successful, odds are they're the most miserable, and they should be the ones that are just like happy dance and everything's great, and they're not, and that. So submit to God. So that, that's the first action that we can do. Um, resist the devil. Let me see, I lost my spot here. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So stand against him. Uh, and again, remember that we're in a battle that there is no neutral ground. Um, if you're not actively resisting the devil, guess what? You're going with this program. You know, passivity, it, it, Matt brought it up all last week, there's sins of commission, great, you're not doing those, there's sins of omission, if you're being passive, you're missing out, you know, you're, you're missing the bus and missing things that you could do if you're just going with the flow, because the flow is going to the wrong spot, you know, and we need to be actively standing, uh, and that, and there is no greater defender and no no greater strength than a believer who is armed with the word and who believes the word. There's no greater opponent to the devil than somebody that knows the word and they actually believe it's true. And you look at that and he says, and he will flee from you and Satan will flee from you. So the picture of this is basically if, if Satan shows up and if he's a house robber, let's just say that for instance, and you go up, and he comes up on a street, and Roy's out shooting skeet in his front yard and plunking off some skeet there, and then there's three houses down, somebody's on vacation, the house is empty. Which house am I going to go rob? Am I going to try to duck around Roy, who's got an active gun, who could plunk my head off and you know, <laughs> clean shot as I'm coming in, or am I going to go 
down the street to the guy that's out on vacation and the house is empty, there's no dog in there. Of course, you're going to pick the easier target. I mean, they did that with Christ in Matthew 4. You know, he went through that season and then, you know, there's no fruit, so he's tucking tail and getting out of there. And so that's, again, something how long that takes and all that, I, I couldn't tell you. You know, don't know how long you have to resist and hold out and that before an attack's over, but we're given that confidence that, you know, it, it's not going to last forever, that you know, when we stand on the word and believe in the word, um, the devil will flee. Verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Uh, point number three, I guess. Um, so again, it, this is approach God. So again, it, we kind of lose some of this. And if you think of it the way, you know, when I come home and my daughter is, is coming at me, Daddy, 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 I'm not going to go walk it back out the door and be like, you know what, I can't deal with this right now. It's just like, you scoop her up, you grab her, you hold her, you know, that's what we're talking about here, is approach God in that fashion of humility, bringing nothing to the table, and he's going to scoop you up. Again, that that's, cuts down to the, uh, the people that use the argument in their head of, well, I've done too much, you know, there's too much baggage, God's not going to forgive me, he doesn't have time for me, you know, I'm just a, a weight on the world. Guess what? We all are. And guess what? He picks you up. And will grab you and draw you near. So just approach him. It doesn't matter what you got. You know, again, he's got all the time in the world. You know, infinity is a long, long time and a lot of capability. Uh, point number four is cleanse. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Um, so again, the, the parallel here is um, you just killed somebody and you got blood on your hands and now you're walking to the house of God. He's like, uh, dude, clean your hands. So Take care of verse 1 through 3. Get, get your deeds taken care of. Make restitution for those. Clean your heart. Clean your hands. Then it says, purify your heart. So number five, purify. So now we've got the outward stuff. Now we've got the internal work. So purify your heart. And again, these are both terms used of um, read your Old Testament for all the priestly things that they would do to cleanse and purify and all that. So today we can hang our hat on 1 John 1 9. Um, if we confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So just come to him. Confess what, what's going on and he makes that right. He clear, cleans you, makes you pure. You double minded. Um, you who are vacillating between the world and you know things of God. You know, oh, I, I, you know these kingdoms. Or pursuing the world, I got to do this, this, this. But pursuing God, I got to do this, this, this. Well, I don't know. You know, stop it. You can't serve two masters. You know, as Christ illustrated, you're you're going to serve one or the other. You know, serve the right one. Uh, point number six is verse nine: be wretched. Um, and again, another one I'm not really using too much today uh, in terms of I'm wretched. You know. Um, but being, what it means is being broken by your sinful condition, realizing that, oh crap, I don't make the mark. I don't line up. I can't, you know, fill this gap here. Be wretched and broken by that. Realize your own misery. You know, call out what your sin is and bring that to Him and study God's Word to, again, get washed in that. So obviously if we're wretched and we understand our condition, we're going to mourn and weep, which are seven and eight. Um, mourning is just 
you know, grieve that condition like it's, you know, a loss of your family. And then weeping is the outward expression of that, um, which again, we would consider repentance. And that, um, this is another one that kind of threw me for a loop is um, point number nine is turn laughter into gloom. And it's just like the, the Eeyore passage of the Bible. You're just reading it. It's like, is this really what life is all about? Like, let your laughter be turned to mourning and joy to gloom. Like, okay, I'm going to go to church today. It's going to be miserable because I'm a sinner. Now, now what the, again, the word laughter here is what you would see the, the evil villain in some movie doing when his master plan is coming out. Is oh, 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 oh. You know, this... Like glorification in gratification or glorification of like I just achieved my ultimate objective and I have all this stuff or whatever it is. That's the point. So you're relishing the sinful condition, the sinful desire is turn that into mourning. You know, take that and realize, okay, I've achieved a result in the wrong direction. I need to, you know, achieve this. There's a gap here. So I've got to mourn this loss and mourn, you know, what's come up. And then, so turn your laughter, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So what we see even in early in Matthew and the Beatitudes um, is entrance to the kingdom of God required humility. Uh, Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So being humble is throwing yourself on the lowest position. Again, Matt hit it, being, being the guy that wants to take out the trash and being content with that. Um, and it says, before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Um, Luke 14, 7 through 11 is a great uh, summation of that and kind of makes the point. Uh, now he told a parable to them who were invited, and when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come to you and say, give your place to this person, and then you will begin, begin with shame to take the lowest place. When you are invited, go and sit at the lowest place, so when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So how big of a contrast is that uh, from verse 1 through 3 of let me grab and take all I can and, and put myself in the spot versus I'm here, God. I'm going to take the lowest chair because that's what I deserve. And you're going to find out real quick if you're doing that out of a sincere heart the minute that he says, okay, stay there. And you get discontented and be like, God, I did it. I went to the lowest chair. Where are you? And guess what? You're trying to manipulate God. And you're finding that stuff out right away. Because again, if, if whenever anybody was confronted with um, an appearance of an angel or with Christ or with anything, it's like, boom, you know, face ground, face ground. And, you know, that's our position. And that's what we deserve. That's where we should be. And we should be happy the fact that we're still breathing in the presence of God. And so if he decides to have us, you know, cleaning the toilets in Hartsville's Journey Church, fantastic. You know what? I'm serving God in this community. If I'm in whatever spot that is, again, you know, nothing to say. There's 
And there's something um, to be said at the end of the sermon, too, of don't feel me harping down if you have something, if, if you have a good job, if you have, you know, resources, if you have that. Um, I'm not saying every person always has to unload their wallets and, you know, sell everything they have. But what we're looking at is our tendency as our culture is to head in that direction, is to take, establish, firm up, build our own security, have more than we need, and not be sensitive to the other things of God. So the fact is putting it all on the table and then being okay if God decides to sweep the table. And that's the hard part, you know, because, again, if you offer it up, there's tons of Scripture in that that uh, um, go through that, you know, Matthew 10:38. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Um, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, you know, go. Therefore, you know, you're you're taking the truth and going. Um, there's plenty of those. Let the dead bury their own dead. You know, there, there's instances where Christ may call you to go do something extreme like that, and so it, it's always putting the willingness out on the table um, and being able to do that. So as we reach this point, this gives us a really good time to approach the Lord's Supper. And so if the uh, deacon families or the folks that are preparing the table, if you guys can come up and um, come do that, this uh, gives us a wonderful time to pause uh, for reflection and be able to look at our own lives and see where we might be missing the mark at. Yeah, go ahead and where, what we need to bring up for in repentance. Um, if you're a time right here and you're an unbeliever, um, again, this is representative of the body and blood of Christ. Again, there's no salvific power in a cup of grape juice and a little stale cracker. Um, it's representative of that for believers. So if you're an unbeliever, you know, let it pass by. If you're a believer in blatant sin and you need stuff to correct, it's okay to let it pass by. Um, again, you're in a family of people that are going to love you and hang on to you and not judge you. Um, that's, you know, not our job in that. So let's take a minute to pray together, and we'll take the elements together here at the end. Um, give a chance. I'll, I'll pray for a little bit, and then uh, let it be quiet and let you guys have a chance to uh, talk to God direct. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. Uh, we thank you for your grace and your love and your kindness towards us that not only would you give us attention, um, God, but you would give us patience and you would give us your word, uh, both hard and direct um, and sometimes very painful in that, but you do so in a gentle way. And Lord, we're just... Uh, thankful that you give us opportunity after opportunity here to repent, respond, correct. Um, God, we are endlessly stumbling children that uh, do not listen to our parents, and I just uh, pray that you would clean our hearts, uh, mine especially. I know I have get wrapped up um, so much in the things of the world and so much of um, time where my energies and thoughts and desires should not be directed towards. And I pray that you would bring those to mind. I pray that you would forgive us for those offenses. Um, God, and we just, uh, again, thank you for the mercy that you provided us. In the name of Christ, we're praying. Amen.